Can I just say? Yeah, who, who was just uh, starting to say something? No, I was just going to say, Larissa, I never got to say my condolences about your mother. Heartfelt condolences. I haven't, I haven't been on the call. I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank yeah. you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I'm sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so thank you guys for being patient with me last week when I got sick and woke up with no voice and no energy. As you can hear, I'm not totally back, but mostly back. Um, and then next week, as I said, um, my girls have winter break. So we're actually going to Florida as well. Nice. So we're going there for a few days. So that should be really nice. So we will not have class next week as well. All right. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Sydney. Hi, Tammy. It's great Hi, to Ricky. see everybody. Um, okay. So we are on Malbim on Michelet. We are on page 200. And we are talking, we were talking last week about laziness. And Wait, about Ruffin, someone's asking for a passcode. I'm sorry. Is there a passcode? There is no passcode. If you have the link, then it takes you straight in without a passcode. So if you go to the WhatsApp group, the link is in the description. Okay. I'm going to send it to someone. Thank you. Okay, hang on. I'm just opening my window because it's so hot in here. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> the, way, the way my office is situated, like the heat is strongest in this room, which is usually the way I like it. But then every now and then it just gets too hot. Okay, so we are, uh, we're on chapter 19, um, verse 16. So here we go. Uh Okay. Shomer mitzvah, someone who keeps the commandment, shomer nafsho, he keeps his soul. Bozed rachav, you must, but someone who despises his ways shall die. Okay. So what we're trying to say is that there is a way to live a life where you're truly alive. And there is a way to live your life where you're, you're kind of just stumbling through life and you maybe are going through the motions, but you're not truly alive. You're not truly activated and you're not truly like activating all of your potential. Okay. So first of all, you have to look at this uh, verb here when it says shomer mitzvah. Shomer is a word that means to protect or preserve or to guard, right? Um, like a shomer in Israel is like a, like a, a watchman, like a security guard, somebody whose job it is to protect a post or to guard a post. Right. Hey, Stacey. Hi. Um, so what does it mean to like, we, we talk about like keeping a mitzvah. What does it mean to keep a mitzvah? Right. It's sort of like the way we use the word to keep a promise. It means, or, or to keep a secret. It means that you're protecting it and guarding it and you're making sure that it doesn't get violated, right? That's why people say that they're Shomer Shabbat, that they keep Shabbat. What does that mean? Because you could celebrate Shabbat and a lot of people do celebrate Shabbat, right? Maybe they'll light candles on Friday night or maybe they'll have challah, but to, to be Shomer Shabbat, to protect and guard Shabbat means that there's also things that you're not doing, that you're creating like a boundary, you're creating like a watch point around that 
value or mitzvah that you're protecting to make sure that it doesn't get violated. So somebody who is Shomer Shabbat, for example, um, they won't use electricity for Shabbat or they won't go shopping. They won't go to work. They won't get into the car, right? There's all these things they don't do. And in that way, they safeguard and protect the sanctity of the day. So that's why we use that word shomer. So somebody who is shomer a mitzvah, you protect and safeguard and keep a mitzvah. That means you keep it sacred. That means that you're doing whatever you can to make sure that it doesn't get violated or ruined. Okay. So um, another example of this is where, where we talk about shomer piv ulishono, somebody who guards his speech, right? That also means that you are being protective of the boundary of your speech and you're not allowing your speech to become violated. You want to keep your speech sacred. So that means like, for example, you don't want to say negative things about other people or you don't want to say something that's not true or you don't want to speak crass or profane language, right? So that's what it means. So when we say shomer mitzvah, shomer nafsho, somebody who protects and safeguards and watches over the mitzvah, that person is actually safeguarding, protecting, and guarding over his soul. Okay, and really a great way to understand this is to understand it in the context of a relationship with another person, right? So hi, Naomi. And hi, Anna. I just lost the video. Okay, it's hiding somewhere. I hope you find it. Um, and hi, Tova and Adina. Good to see everyone oh. here. So when we safeguard, when we safeguard a relationship with another person, right? So what does that mean? It means that, yes, um, I'm in a relationship with another person. There are all kinds of positive things that I can do in a relationship with another person. I can say kind things. I can remember their special occasions. I can show up for them. I can buy them a present. But then there's the safeguarding, which is protecting from the negative, right? What does that mean? I'm not going to cheat on this person. I'm not going to betray this person. I'm not going to hurt this person. I'm not going to tell their secrets to other people. I am safeguarding the protective boundaries around my relationship with this person. So too, we as Jews are in a relationship with the mitzvot, right? And everybody has a different relationship with the mitzvot. Some people protect and guard the mitzvot very carefully. Some people are in a more casual relationship with the mitzvot. Some people have certain mitzvot that they're very passionate and careful about. And that's their special mitzvah. Some people like Passover is where they shine, you know, or Hanukkah is where they shine, or tzedakah is where they shine, or hospitality, right? Everybody's got like, let's say a different favorite mitzvah. And if so, then you you really are going to watch over and protect that mitzvah. So what it's saying is that, that um, yeah, that's interesting what you wrote, Cindy, to guard, right? So what that means is that you're safeguarding that mitzvah. And by doing so, you are safeguarding your soul. That's the novel idea that King Solomon is coming up with here. If you safeguard a mitzvah, you work really hard to protect its sacredness. You are actually safeguarding your soul, right? You're not willing to sell out on that mitzvah. You're not willing to cheat or cut corners on that mitzvah. You're not willing to make it cheaper. Second half of the verse is, 
but the one who despises his ways shall die. So if a person despises God's ways, they do whatever they want. They act however they want. It's a dog eat dog world. I'm going to do whatever I need to get ahead. I'm going to say whatever pops into my head. You know what you're doing? That is a soul killing lifestyle. You think you're hurting God or you're hurting other people. You know who you're hurting the most? Yourself. Because when you safeguard the mitzvot, they're there to help your soul thrive and nourish. But when you violate these ideas and these values, you're actually harming the integrity and the purity of your own soul. You know, kind of reminds me of like, um, I remember one of my kids got in trouble once and we showed up to wherever it was to get them. And they're like, you guys are really mad at me, right? And I was so disappointed. I was like, this is not about me being mad at you. I hope you're mad at you. Like, this doesn't have to do with me. Do you realize that you're hurting yourself? Right? Looking at it as, a, oh, my parents are mad at me. Like, that's really immature. Eventually, you want your kids to outgrow that. My parents are mad at me. And instead, grow into, well, I'm disappointed with me. I expect better of myself. I have greater aspirations and hopes and dreams for my life. That's what we're talking about here, right? The mitzvot are an opportunity to plug our souls into godliness. When we disconnect them, we do a disservice to our souls. When we connect them, we thrive and come alive. Okay, so the commentary, page 200. Even a direction of life that seems straight can lead to perdition. Okay, so that means that sometimes it seems like we're going in the right path, but really we're selling out because we have this unbelievable power to tell ourselves the things that we want to believe and not face the truth, right? The only certain way of life is to keep the divine commandments. So there are going to be many systems in this world where people are going to say, oh, if you do this, you're going to live this life of wellness and wholeness. You know, yesterday I was going... I went on Google to find different women's conferences in Cleveland to see if there was somewhere that there might be a speaking opportunity. So I find this one place, it's called the self-love seminar. So I'm like, cool, I, I would love to speak at a self-love seminar. So I click on the event, right? And I'm reading all the things and it takes me to the website. There's this woman, her name is Hashima and she runs this spa out in, I don't know where. And I'm starting to read it and it's like tuning fork therapy and I, I don't know. I started getting into this like really out there, like not so sure this is in consonance with Judaism kind of stuff, you know, like this sort of Buddhist, Hindu, woo-woo kind of stuff. And I'm like, I, yeah, don't think I'm going to be speaking at the self-love seminar. Oh, well, maybe next time, you know. So sometimes things that seem really like, oh, this is the path to a meaningful, wholesome life, you know, but Sometimes you can really get led off course by these things that seem wholesome and pure. How do you know if you're truly plugged in? If it's part of the divine commandment. We as Jews were given the Torah, right? And the Torah is this beautiful divine system for finding peace and wholeness. And yes, self-love. I don't even know what tuning fork therapy is. I don't think I want to know. But 
it's not Judaism, that's for sure. And it, it doesn't have to be Judaism per se, but at least it has to be in consonance with Judaism for me to participate at least. So sometimes th things can seem like, oh, this is the path to wholeness or, or wellness. But if it's not going to be in line with Judaism, you're going to find yourself traveling astray. And the Jewish soul needs Judaism to activate it and fill it up. Okay. So the only certain way in life is to keep the divine commandments. To despise his ways and gratify despicable cravings is to invite death. So, And it doesn't mean physical death. It means spiritual death. So here's the thing. All of us, every single human being in the world, we crave to live a good life. We crave to be seen and understood. We crave to participate in meaningful activities. We crave to be loved. We crave approval. We crave pleasure right? We all want things that are nice and that feel good and that taste good. And we want people to value and appreciate us, right? But there are so many different ways that we could plug into that, right? There are substances that feel really good in the short term, and then they ruin your life in the long term. There are relationships that are very exciting and very gratifying in the beginning, and then over the long term, we see that they're very damaging, actually, and soul-destroying. So King Solomon is telling us, if you want to know how to have long-term life, long-term spiritual activation, long-term pleasure, plug into Jewish wisdom, plug into the mitzvah. And there are so many mitzvot. There are so many different ways to plug in. Judaism has academic mitzvot and social mitzvot and gastronomic mitzvot and social act activation, you know, mitzvot. There are so many different ways. One of my friends just got back from Israel and she was picking lemons. She's She was so happy. Like, I don't know that picking lemons would fill up my soul, but that's okay. Everybody's different. We've all got different things that activate us. So find your place within the constructs of Judaism but find the way that will truly light up your soul, not just temporarily. Like Judaism wants all of it for you, not just for the here and now, but for the long haul. Okay. So I see Sydney asked a question. There are so many mitzvot. How does one not get caught up in guilt, overwhelmed, but at the same time, how do we get motivated to plug in? There is a quote from the Ethics of the Fathers that comes to mind. The work is not yours to finish, but neither are you at liberty to abdicate. So in a way, like the question you're asking, Sydney, which is so important, but in a sense, it's also a tool of the Yetzir Hara, which is to say, there's so much to do and there's so many mitzvot and, you know, how can you ever get it right? And how can it ever be perfect? And and then your Yetzirah kind of burns you out before you even get started. Because the truth is, none of us can do all the mitzvot. Actually, none of us can do all the mitzvot at all. There are 613 of them. Um, at least half of them, about half of them are only relevant during the times that the Jews are living in Israel and we have a temple. So for sure, about half of them are shaved off right there. Some of them can only be performed by men. Some of them can only be performed by women. Some of them can only be performed by a Kohen, a priest. Some of them can only be performed by someone who's getting a divorce. Some of them can only be performed by somebody who is a rabbi. I, I, there's like a million different ones that we can't do. 
you know, but even the ones that we can't do, there's always this balance between telling ourselves, like, how can I do better? And what I am is exactly enough. And that's a really hard balance to achieve, but that's, that's really the healthy balance. You know, I experienced this sometimes I was in the middle of praying yesterday. Oh, I know what I was doing. I was saying Shema at night before I went to bed. And as I was saying the Shema, my mind started wandering. And before I knew it, I was in the middle of a totally different prayer. Like my brain took the words that I was saying and took me into a hole and I'm sitting there staring down at my prayer book. And I'm like, what the heck am I doing? And I'm like, I was mad at myself. I was like, like, you're a Torah teacher. What are you doing? You're not even paying attention. You know, and then I'm like, stop it. That's your Yitzhara, right? You catch yourself when you're wandering, you bring yourself back, you pick up where you left off. Perfection is impossible. You know, it's, it's just not, perfection is not accessible to us. And that's not the goal. That was never the goal. You look through the Torah, you look at all of our role models, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, all, all of our matriarchs, patriarchs, Moses, you know, everyone, the Torah points out their mistakes. They weren't perfect. So I should be perfect. I should expect myself to be perfect. Right? When, when you find yourself getting overwhelmed by those thoughts, you have to remind yourself that that's a tool of the Yitzhahara to burn you out. And also, if you notice, like this verse is very much focused on your wellness, on your personal satisfaction and success, right? Again, it's like if I pray and my mind wanders and I'm saying the wrong thing, right? Who am I hurting? I'm not hurting God. God doesn't need my prayers. Pretty sure he's perfect without me. I need it. I, I'm the one who needs to focus on my prayers. So I can just say, oh, it's a shame. You know, I missed out. Okay. I'll start again. You know, it's not like, it's not like, again, like, oh, my parents are mad at me. It's like, I'm disappointed that I missed out on a really good opportunity, but I'll catch the next one. Okay. Any other thoughts or comments on verse 16? It's interesting that you brought up about when a child says, am I in trouble? Because as I thought it was funny because my son did get in trouble with me not that long ago. And he goes, he goes, am I punished? So I was like, well, should I punish you? He goes, well, are you gonna? I said, okay. <laughs> Since you <So>, asked. <laughs> so, so what should your punishment? He picked his punishment. It was great. <laughs> That's funny. He goes, so are you mad? I said, no, you're punished. <laughs> Ooh, we're frozen. <laughs> <laughs> so that was fun. Am I back? Can you guys hear me now? Yeah. 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 So saying like, eventually you hope that they outgrow that stage though, right? That they're not right. doing it for them. They're not doing it to, because you need them to, they're doing it because they get it. Yeah. Okay. Any other thoughts before we continue? I just like the idea that you can't be perfect and that that's acceptable not to be perfect. <clears throat> and that you just try again to, you know, better yourself and um, 
and not feel like a failure mm -hmm. if you can't get it right the first time. Or the second time or the third yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. Rahi, I think unfortunately in our educational systems, the kids were trained to think that they're doing their thing for God. And it's a whole different way of looking at doing a mitzvah. You're missing on the opportunity to choose right. something. It's not like, you know what, you're going to, you know, you're going to fry girl, whatever it is. It, it's just such a different way of looking at education. Right. I mean, the truth is the word mitzvah, the word mitzvah comes from the Aramaic root tzavta, which means connection. A mitzvah is a connective opportunity. That's really what it is, right? And you can you can do a mitzvah and make it a connective opportunity, or you could do a mitzvah and lose out on that connective opportunity, right? Like, let's say I do a mitzvah. I, um, I um, say a blessing before I eat my food, right? So I could either just mumble it and say it without thinking, and then I... I, I still got a mitzvah. I still did a good thing, but I lost out on that connective opportunity. Or I could take a half a second and think to myself, wow, look at this amazing drink that God enabled me to have and that he gave me the mouth and the face and the, you know, the, my ability to taste it and enjoy it and appreciate it and to be nourished by it. Wow. I'm so grateful. Thank you, God. And then I say the blessing. That is a whole other league of connective opportunity. Who benefits most from that connective opportunity? Me. I am so much happier after that connective opportunity, right? So, yeah, I, I, I think that's a really good point. The root is safta. I just typed it out for you. Okay. Anything else? Okay. 17. Malveh Hashem Chonin Dal, he who is gracious to the poor, lends to Hashem, Ugmulo Yeshalemlo, and his good deed, he will repay him. Okay, so let's let's read that again. He who is gracious to the poor, lends to Hashem, and his good deed, will he repay him, meaning God will repay him his good deed. Okay, so what this is trying to say is that when you do something good, you're not just doing good for the person, but God himself, this is, it almost seems like it's the opposite of what I just said. You're not doing the good deed for God, right? But what it's trying to say is that God is so pleased with the fact that you did something good for another human being, right? And again, a great way to think about this is a parent. If, if my child does something nice for my other child, they didn't do anything for me. They did something for their sibling, but I am so happy. I feel so gratified. I, I feel a great sense of pleasure that my kids are being good to each other, right? Even if they didn't have me in mind at all, even if they didn't even realize that what they're doing is making me happy, but I get great nachas from that moment. So too, Hashem gets great nachas when we help one another and it makes him so proud of us because we're being good to each other. Okay. Um, and then, and then his good deed, will he repay him? So then not only will, not only will you get that glow again from your own good deed, your own pleasure from doing a good thing, which we know when we do something good, especially when it's hard, we feel this incredible glow of gratification, right? 
But not only that, but Hashem will also pay me back, right? Because, because Hashem is, that's what Hashem wants in his world. Hashem wants us to be good to each other. It's so interesting how if you look throughout Torah literature, this is across the board, you will always find that God will prefer that we be good to one another that then that we do what we think God wants from us at the expense of our relationships with each other. Always. And if you're ever not sure, you know, you let's let's, let's say you have um money that you want to give to, you know, a donation, or you have an hour to volunteer, or I don't know, you have some kind of opportunity to do something and you want to know what should you do with it, how should you allocate it, how should you use that time, money, energy, talent, strength, whatever. Use it to make someone else happy. You will never lose out by doing that. You, they will feel good. You will feel good. And there will be this great nachas in the world that Hashem is so proud that he created his human beings to be good to each other. It's actually astonishing what a huge, huge pillar of Judaism this is, being good to one another, acting towards each other with kindness. Like, People tell stories about great rabbis and sages and, you know, women leaders and role models. It always comes down to this being good to one another, right? We talk about Abraham's kindness and welcoming strangers. We talk about Rachel's self-sacrifice and being good to her sister. We talk about Moses's compassion, even to sheep, but certainly to people, right? He stuck up for his fellow Jew and he killed the Egyptian to protect his fellow Jew. We're not talking about like you know, great acts of self-denial or, you know, praying for hours and hours. We're talking about being good to other people, particularly your own fellow Jew, who is your brother and sister. That's what God wants from us right now. I am reminded of a video I saw a number of days ago, perhaps some of you saw it as well, of this one young man who lost a leg on October 7th and mm -hmm. He was talking about how he is incredibly gratified by how the Jewish community is coming together in unity. And he said, I, I would not have believed it if I would not have heard it with my own ears. He said it was worth it for me to lose my leg for this, mm -hmm. which is just mind boggling. But that is the Jewish idea for us to come together in unity and to be good to one another, that is, if you ever wanted to ask yourself, what is the most important thing that God wants from me above all else? It's that. So that's what this verse is telling us. Okay, let's go to the commentary. When, again, page 200, we're on the commentary for verse 17. When a man gives charity, or a woman, to the poor graciously, expecting no return, Right. So the word here is Malva. He gives it um, what is it? He, uh, the word means to give a gift graciously, like the word means grace. Right. It means to give it graciously, meaning with no expectation of return. I'm just giving it to you and I'm not expecting your gratitude. I'm not expecting any kickback. I'm not expecting any attention. I'm not expecting a thank you. I'm not expecting you to pay me back. Nothing. This is just a free gift, okay? It is like lending to Hashem, meaning, you know what? That's like the commentary saying here. It's like you live. Lent it to Hashem, meaning what? 
Hashem is going to pay you back. Maybe the person won't pay you back. And sometimes the people, and this is not just talking about money, it's talking about giving in any capacity to another person. Sometimes they don't act to us with gratitude. In fact, sometimes they turn around and they stab us in the back after we've done something kind for them. Don't worry. Don't have any expectations of their gratitude or of their kickback or, well, now they're probably going to do me this favor or now they're probably going to be really nice to me. They'll probably remember that I helped them in their dark day. Let's just say that they will not do any of those things, but Hashem will never forget that gift. That's, that's a, as far as Hashem is concerned, that is a loan and Hashem himself is going to pay you back. So you do not need to get consumed with whether this other person is remembering or reciprocating or repaying or any of that. Hashem's got your back. Um, he then not only repays the loan, but also the love that the man thus bestows, which means more than the money. So it's not just about what you give. It's about how you give it. That's why it says that you want to give it honein, means to give it graciously. It means don't give it with like, fine, fine, I'll give it to you. Oh my gosh, fine, stop asking me already. <laughs> that is not exactly gracious giving, right? We want to give graciously. You're going to do it anyways. Do it graciously, right? Be like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy to I'm so great. I'm so grateful that I have the opportunity to be there for you. I'm so grateful that I have the ability to help you. Do it with a smile. Don't remind them about it every time you see them. Do it graciously. And then Hashem will not only pay you back the money, but Hashem will pay you back the loan. You will get the money. Sorry, Hashem will pay you back the love. Hashem has many ways to work out you getting your money back, right? You'll be like, hey, that guy never paid me back. You know what? I mean, we've, this is like the weirdest things. There's like some old account will send me money and be like, oh, this was, there was a class action suit and you get this much money. And it's like the exact amount of money that some, it's just fascinating. Or, you know, or your washing machine breaks and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to need a new washing machine right now. That's going to be, you know, 1200 bucks. And all of a sudden the repairman comes and is like, I know what you're talking about. Your washing machine is fine. And then it works for like another 10 years. You know what I mean? Don't worry. Hashem has plenty of ways to slip money into your pocket. Maybe even when you're not noticing, but Hashem will also pay you back the love Whatever love and grace and positive attitude you invested into that mitzvah, you will get it back with interest. Hashem will make sure that that love comes back to you. Alternatively, here's another explanation of the text. The text means that the man's charity is merely the partial repayment of the gifts lent him by Hashem for this very purpose. So another way of understanding this is, you know why you should lend the guy money? Because God invested in you. God only lent you that money. That wasn't your money to pocket and keep. That was your money to hold on to. You were like the, you know, the executor of the estate to then turn around and give it to the person that God named for you to give it to. So God said, I'm giving you this money under the stipulation that you will then turn around and share it with the people I told you to share it with. So these are two ways of understanding the text. Either you give it to the person, but really as, as far as God is concerned, it's a loan and he will pay you back or give it to this person because God only gave it to you as a loan in the first place so that you will turn around and pay it forward to somebody else. Stacy. Um, I feel, you know, on Tuesday, you were talking about cruelty. 
And I feel like this concept, yeah. if we want it to, could be such a fine line between those two ideas, depending on, right, where, like, there, it depends on a lot of different things, but yeah, giving charity and that, that gate of cruelty kind of is playing with itself right now in my head. So it's so interesting because, you know, there are times that we might be in a situation where we're asked to give somebody money and we might ask ourselves, well, I don't actually think this person is going to do positive things with this money. And if I give them this money, maybe like, you know, what we were talking about on Tuesday, the gate of cruelty is sometimes when you are too nice to somebody, you're actually hurting them. You're enabling them. So how do you know? Right. And I once heard a quote from a rabbi, which I wish I could remember who said this. He was talking about it in terms of parenting, but he said, if you're ever not sure if you should give out a hug or discipline, right? There, there are times that you should obviously give your hugs and there are times that you need to give discipline. But if, if you're ever not sure, you're in a situation, you're like, gosh, I don't know. Is this a situation that calls for a hug or is this a situation that calls for discipline? He goes, if you're ever not sure, give a hug. Because the worst thing that will happen is there will be too many hugs in the world. So I feel like if, if you're ever, again, sometimes you know for sure, like it, it is not good for me to give this person money. I know that it's, it looks like compassion, but I'm actually harming them. Fine. And if you know, you know, but if you're on the fence, then err on the side of kindness, mm. you know, and even if it's a mistake, better off to make a mistake in that direction than in the other direction. Right. It's, it's funny how it all mixes together. Yeah. Kind of neat. Um, Larissa, can you Thank tell you. us the story that you wrote about? The story of that Israeli girl lost in the Arab. Oh, oh, the story. Oh, of the that's, the, that's the one that you shared. Yes, yes, everybody. yes. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. The, the, yeah. Oh my gosh. That was such a crazy story. So I don't know how many of you guys saw that video that I posted about um, the girl who had written these thank you cards to all these different workers in her hotel in Israel. And she ended up getting lost in a Palestinian neighborhood. Did any of you guys see this video? I'll repost it on our chat. It was a crazy story. And um, what Larissa is saying is so true. The co common connection here is that she did an act of kindness to these people having no idea that she was setting the stage for her own redemption. Like she was in a lot of danger. And because of what she did, she was saved because of her own investments and her own acts of kindness. So thank you. Thank you. I'm going to repost that. Okay. Maybe the next two proverbs tied to this notion. Yes, very much so. Tammy. Okay. Any other thoughts or comments on 17? I just wanted to show you my water bottle today. I have a lot of water bottles. Oh, Sherry. I love it. <laughs> it says, for those of you who can't see it, or for those of you who are listening to the recording, Sherry's water bottle says, be good to people. <laughs> I love it. Love it. When it all comes together. Yeah. 
Okay. Any other thoughts or questions? Excuse me. Okay. 18. Um, Yaser bin Chakiyesh Tikva. Chasten your son, for there is hope. All right. Tikva. We know that word from Hatikva. Ba'al Hamito al Tisa Nafshecha. And do not burden your spirit with his noisy wailing. <laughs> I think I'm going to hang up this sign in my kitchen. Um, okay, so yaser, the word yaser comes from the same root as the word musar, right? To chasten, which means to like offer ethical guidance. So offer ethical guidance to your son, meaning sometimes you got to tell your kid how it really is. Okay, why? Because there's hope. We believe that people have the ability to improve and do better. So sometimes you got to tell it, you got to tell off your kid and do not burden your spirit with his noisy wailing. So Tammy is right. This is very much connected to what we were talking about earlier is that sometimes you think you're doing something nice to somebody. You know, I, I'm all into validation. It's in my, my book sold instruction. You know, somebody is upset and they're kvetching. You're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for your pain. You know, but sometimes you got to say, listen, dude, you brought this on yourself. <laughs> you know, sometimes just saying all these nice platitudes is actually going to harm your child because they have to hear a firm word. And again, the balance of those two things is literally the crux of all parenting dilemmas ever. Right? How much to be like, oh, sweetheart, I'm sorry. And how much to be like, oh my gosh, can you get your act together? Okay. <laughs> so um, when it says that there is hope, what it means is that as parents, it's our job and our responsibility to sometimes say the unpopular thing and to bring our kid into line. And many times in this book, King Solomon talks about this. And King Solomon was one of the children of King David. And King David had some really complicated and rebellious children. One of his children tried to kill him. One of his children tried to steal the throne, right? And, and there is some, <clears throat> some chatter among the authorities that was King David too soft on his children and he didn't give them musr when they needed it. He didn't bring them into line. Of course, we know that sometimes a person can do all the things and say all the things and it still doesn't help. <clears throat> Excuse me. But that's okay. That's not our department. Our department is not how our kids turn out. It's about how we handled the journey of raising them. That's the part that we're responsible for, right? That, you know, one day after 120 years, go up to the next world and God will have some questions for us. Here's what he's not going to ask us. Why did your kid fill in the blank? God is not going to ask you why your kid did or didn't anything. You know what God is going to ask you? Did you do X, Y, or Z? You know, and again, as much as we want to keep God in the picture, it's also about, it's not just about, is God going to be proud of me? It's about, am I proud of me? It's not about the challenges that happen to you or the difficulties in raising children. It's about, I want to be proud of how I handled my parenting journey, of the things that I responded or didn't respond in the moment. 
of the ways that I either let my kids issues consume my life or didn't let my kids issues consume my life. Did I grow from the experiences? Was I able to show my kid love when I needed to show my kid love? Was I able to show my kid discipline and boundaries when it was time to show discipline and boundaries? That's the part that we're responsible for. Heather. It reminds me that I had learned once that Isaac became blind because sort of a measure for measure that he was so blind to like Usav's ways um, that that's part of why he became blind. Had you ever heard of that? You mean like because he turned a blind eye to Esau's evil ways? Yeah, yeah. And then isn't even like Jacob sort of taken to task for like the favoritism? Yeah, absolutely. Right? And then can you share the line that talks about um, bringing them in with the right and pushing them with the left? Because I always try to remember that when I'm trying to think about yes. in the right measure. Thank you for mentioning that. So this, I, you know, I actually don't know where this quote is from. I'm going to have to look it up. Um, but when the Torah is describing like how to bring another person closer to living according to the values of Judaism, right? It's, this is specifically with one's kids, but not just with one's kids. It's also about like, it could be a student, it could be a friend, it could be a sibling, right? And the expression is, Small docha, the left hand pushes away, and the right hand draws near. So with the left hand, you're putting up a boundary, and with the right hand, you're drawing near. And the symbolism with that is that the right hand is considered dominant. So that means you're putting up the boundary and you're drawing near, but the drawing near is stronger, right? That's like what I said before. If you're not sure whether to give a hug or discipline, give the hug, right? That the, the attribute of kindness... And this is what we were saying before about how this is such a huge concept in Judaism. The attribute of kindness should still be the stronger attribute, but there needs to be boundaries as well. Okay. Thanks, Heather. Let's get to the commentary for 18. Never despair of a son turned delinquent. So I don't know how many of you need to hear this today. <laughs> Never despair of a son turned delinquent. And so give up all attempts to chasten and discipline him. So sometimes a person, like when they see their kid acting badly or going down a negative path or making friends with unsavory people or, you know, just exhibiting negative habits, we can just kind of get really discouraged and we can give up and we can say like, well, what am I supposed to do? I've tried everything. I'm so tired. It's just too hard. You know, I can't do it. So King Solomon is saying, don't despair and don't give up your attempts to chasten and discipline him. You're not done, you know, parenting that child. Obviously, the age of the child, the stage of the child will determine what methods are appropriate or not appropriate, right? But you can't just throw up your hands in despair and say, I'm done. It's over. I'm hopeless. There is always hope. My... um cousin and friend, uh, Dr. Shlomo Koifman, whom some of you know from Cleveland, he was telling me about a friend of his from high school who was struggling with addiction for decades. In his 40s, he got clean. He, he had gone to rehab before, but he went to rehab and this time it took. And he became healthy. 
And he was, he had nothing. He had no education. He had no job. He had no family. He had not, no friends. He had burned all his bridges and he cleaned up his life and he got an education and he got a job and he got married and he had a family. And now he is 50 years old and he is living a meaningful, beautiful life. Is it a shame that he wasted all those years? It is a shame that he wasted all those years, but he it's not a waste. He needed those years to bring him to where he is today. So I found such encouragement in that story because, you know, it's so hard when you look at young people, sometimes it seems like it's taking them such a long time to find their footing. And it's hard to know, like, oh my gosh, like it feels hopeless. Like, when is this going to get better? You know, but do there's always hope where there's life, there's hope and don't despair. That's what King Solomon is telling us. Even if he wails and carries on, do not take it to heart. <laughs> So, you know, the kid can say, oh, I can't do this. This is too much for me. I, it's your fault. I I never, and you and dad, when I was 10, you once said, and then, you know, whatever. It's okay. Let them, how does it go in the text? Do not burden your spirit with his noisy wailing. <laughs> That's my new favorite quote. It's okay. Don't, don't pay such a cl close attention to everything they fetch about, right? It's okay. You do you, you stay the course, you try to be the good parent. Again, nobody's perfect. We can't beat ourselves up or berate ourselves for the mistakes we have all inevitably made. We can just try to course correct and move forward, offer the, you know, offer the words of discipline when they need it, offer the hugs and love when they need it. And don't lose hope. Okay. Sorry, my <sighs> going to get some water. <sighs> okay, so Tammy, I saw your question about right and left. I'm gonna look it up and post it on the chat because I'm not sure where it comes from. Um and thank you, Naomi and Dana, for your comments. Very true. Um, okay. So that is verse 18. Any thoughts, comments, questions on verse 18? Or any closing thoughts on our class today? Happy Tubishvat, everyone. Oh, thank you for reminding oh. us, Naomi. Today is Tubishvat. Actually, Tubishvat is such a great holiday when we talk about not losing hope. Because you look outside and it's gray and it's chilly. Actually, here in Cleveland, we're having a heat wave. It's like 51 degrees. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the Talmud tells us that it is the new year for the trees and that this is when the sap starts to rise in the trees. So Deep down beneath the surface where nobody can see, the seeds of spring are bearing fruit. And that's what we need to see too when we look at other people that, you know, we can't lose hope. And maybe somewhere deep where we can't see, seeds are being planted and changes sprouting. And God willing, we should all remember that there's always hope, even when it doesn't necessarily look hopeful. 
Okay. Have a wonderful day, everybody. I will mm-hmm. miss you next week, but I will see you, God willing, in two weeks from today. Have a good vacation. Uh, yes. Thank you. Yes. Rufalishalima. Safe travels. Thank, Thank you. Yeah. yeah safe Thank travels. you very much. Thank Bye-bye. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank good you. Shabbos. Yep. Good